Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Flying Hungover. That's a quizzical title. Our author, Brian Ord, joins me from Kansas. Welcome, sir, to the program. Uh, thanks for having me, Jay. Uh, this, the title has me a little concerned. Does this have actually uh, anything to do with aircraft? Uh, not necessarily just with aircraft itself. Okay. Uh, are you a pilot? Uh, share a little bit of your background and why this book or this story was written. Uh, no, I'm not a pilot. Uh, I've just uh, flown around America a few times, done a lot of vacations, and uh, sometimes that experience can be a little trying. And especially if maybe you are doing it with um, a had a hangover, it can make, <laughs> it can add to, add to those trials. But uh, yeah, that was kind of how that came about. It's just something I've done several times. Okay, and and your favorite way of flying, apparently, if, if uh, I'm understanding what you just told me, is uh, to be uh, uh, imbibed with adult beverages, or am I confused by the title again? Well, I think sometimes, <laughs> uh, sometimes I uh, yeah, I utilize my vacation a little too. I, I make sure to get every second out of it I can, and then that leads the trip home. Sometimes uh, a little bit tired. T- tell tell my listeners, you have uh, only uh, 49 pages here. There's not a chapter as such. It's uh, one long exposition uh, talking about flying hungover. What was the inspiration behind this, besides your vacations and uh, coming down from vacations? <clears throat> well, I think part of it is just I just had a lot of these thoughts in my head. Uh, I think they touch on just uh, some everyday life and just some things that I've seen uh you know, in our world today, or in America more more specifically, but, uh, yeah, it was just an abadu. I just started writing it, and I think the, the context of the flying and using that is just something I've done, and that's just the avenue it came out in. Sure, and for my listeners, just to let you know, this is not about drinking necessarily. This is about other thoughts and ideas that you wanted to share with the public. Right, yeah, it, it has very little to do with drinking, and even the <laughs> hangover... I mean, unfortunately, I've I've flown hungover because of the drinking, but I think that anybody can relate to flying hungover in the sense that, you know, they're tired. Being away on vacation, you, typically you don't sleep as good as if you're at home. So even though you're not, you know, experiencing like an alcoholic hangover, you're kind of experiencing just a typical life hangover. What was the motivation for, for putting this into print? Were you just wanting to finally get it out of your system, some ideas and thoughts that you thought might be of interest to the general public, or what was the motivation behind that? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of wrote it, and then I just, I, I mean, I thought it was fairly decent. Uh, I had some friends read it, and it was just one of those. I figured I might as well give it a shot, see what happens. I think that if I would have never done it, you know, I, I didn't want to go and think, oh, I, you know, kind of live with that burden of, man, I never took that next step, and I probably should have. Have you always desired to be a, a published author, or is this something new that's uh, come up come upon your uh, your to-do list? 
Uh, it was just uh, kind of a new experience. I, it was never something I wanted, I aspired to, but uh, as older I've gotten, I've read a lot more. Um, you know, I've always been to myself. I've always been single, no kids. So with that spare time, you know, I've done a lot of reading more. And I think in that, it made me more literal. Just I, I think just reading more kind of subconsciously put the book idea in my head. But no, I never, as a kid or anything, ever thought I'd ever write a book. And did you become more introspective as you've gotten older? This uh, first page starts uh, out talking about Ground Zero and Manhattan. How did that impact your life? Uh, yeah, I think the older you get, I mean, definitely reading and become maybe a little more emotional in things, in depth. And, I mean, it, it is just a very sobering experience. Uh, you see all those images and things from afar, but when you're actually... I was lucky enough to have a hotel where I, I mean, I could just look out my window and it was right down there. And it was before the Freedom Tower even started being built. And it was just, you know, it, it made it closer to home that way. I mean, I'm from sure. Kansas. I'm nowhere near New York. But once you're just standing over it, you're just like, you know, I, I don't know. It just gives you a feeling inside that it's a little different than just seeing it on TV. It's startling, and it also makes you think sobering thoughts, uh, if I may use that analogy, uh, since yeah. you've used flying hungover. You have, uh, as you begin to write this, how long did it take you, Brian, to, to put your thoughts into a print and a published uh, format? Uh, I'd say writing it was, I don't know, maybe a couple months. If that, I, I can't really remember. It's been a few years ago. Sure. But it, it, it started coming out. I mean, the hardest thing was to edit it uh, because I I write a lot like I speak. Well, this book is pretty much a stream of consciousness. Mm. But uh, the hardest thing when you write is when the writer can understand it. But, <laughs> sure. you know, it makes sense to the writer. And then, you know, might have some people read it. It's like, yeah, this, is, this doesn't make sense at all. That was kind of a process of editing it. And when you when you finish this, uh, when, I guess when you begin, you must have had an idea that maybe contemporary aged group would uh, find this interesting, or did you think it would have a broader appeal than that? I, I think more of yeah, younger demographic. Uh, some of the humor I don't think is yeah. If I wouldn't say it's for everybody, right. but uh, um, yeah, I would say more because I'm 33. I would say, and I wrote it four years ago. I'd probably say, yeah, 25 to 40, maybe. But, uh, I mean, there's there are topics that I think deal with, you know, anybody. It's just some of the humor, yeah, you might not appreciate. And even people within that demographic might not appreciate it either. Which of the, the, the thoughts the, the, the thoughts of streaming consciousness that you have uh, shared do you think is uh, one in retrospect you wish you had expanded upon or you really think... There's something there that people should get a hold of. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one to choose. The, the thing that I think that'll be most misinterpreted is going to be the jokes, and <laughs> I think that sometimes people see those and they just become naturally offended, and that's okay because there are some offensive things. But kind of wh where does that come from? How does that some of those things come about? If that makes sense. Sure. Is there an like, effect? I mean, I mean, they are stereotypical jokes, uh -huh. and that can be offensive, but it's not. I think sometimes when you hear those things, it's like, oh, this guy's just a jerk. Well, maybe that's part of it, and I said that, but 
how did those jokes ever get to surface? Mm. Does that make sense? Sure. I, I was going to ask you to share an offensive joke, but I maybe shouldn't do that since you're trying to sell the book. <laughs> Unless you've got one well, that's sort of on the edge and just a little edgy. Yeah, I, I just think, I mean, I think yeah, if people read it, they'll just be natural. And I think that's what happens is people just get offended and then they just push away the context. Mm. If, you know, instead of maybe see, okay, if he said this and I don't like what he said, but why... You know, you can kind of look back and say, okay, that makes sense, or I don't know. Would you describe this as a, a it's not a fictional work as such, it's it's sort of nonfiction, but sort of streaming consciousness as you've described it. Is it uh, one that has a, an ulterior motive, or are you just wanting to share your thoughts and uh, publish your ideas so that people will start thinking about subjects that you have addressed? Yeah, I mean, I think that it was, there wasn't much of an ulterior motive. It was just, it was just taking a chance. It was something I wrote, just trying to get it out there. I mean, at the end of the day, I think the biggest point of it is, like, I just bring up the point. You know, what happens if your plane crashes? Mm. And then I say, what happens if I, at the very least, I die? And I think that would be, that'd probably be the number one thought I'd want people to come away with. Would because you? Because kind of is. And then I give my explanation. Your explanation. Kind of, kind of go through the Bible and kind of tell them that's what I think. That is the format that I would use. Sure. Even though I don't, I don't live out biblical teachings 100%, obviously. But you do have a desire to, I'm guessing, from, from what you've just mentioned. Would you, would you think this is a lighthearted read, or is this one that is uh, sort of on the serious side with some humorous overtones? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's pretty, I'd say it's just a, to me, it's just kind of like a, like, I mean, you, uh, in college, you know, you have your 101, your 401, and then like your 601 for graduate. I'd say it's just like an easy, like 101 read. It's a pretty simple read. Well, if you can handle the way I wrote it, but it's just a quick read and it brings up a lot of different topics. What's your thoughts? Or, sure. What is your thought or your, your desire, your hope for this particular book that you've published, Flying Hungover? What is the uh, end, end game for it? What do you think will happen, or how do you hope it will impact the reader? Um, I just hope that uh, I just hope they can look at some of the things. Uh, maybe there's a lot of things they don't want to hear that's being said in those, but sometimes things you don't want to hear or maybe the things you need to hear. Um, just maybe just hope to think about things a little more. You know, maybe topics you don't want to hear about, and maybe expand on them a little more. Sure. Brian, do you journal and keep track of uh, events that happen in your life on a, a regular basis, things that might be of interest to someone later on in life if you decide to do a follow-up book? Uh not so much. I mean, I have, I do write other stuff. I wouldn't say a journal. I have wrote, written other things. Um, I don't know. It just kind of depends what happens with this one. If I will, you know, this is kind of, I just threw it out there. If this one works, I might do some more. Or I might just, if nothing really comes out of this, I might just call it good. 
Well, Brian, thank you for sharing your insight and uh, sharing a little bit of the uh, stories behind writing Flying Hung Over. Uh, your journal, 49 pages in length, so not a deep, deep uh, read as far as time constraints, but it may be thought-provoking and cause people to delve deeper into their subconscious and uh, maybe make some decisions that they need to make. Brian, thank you for sharing that today. Where do my listeners get a copy of Flying Hung Over? Uh it's probably the easiest would be either Amazon or I believe Barnes and Noble, and you can get it on the all three formats: hardback, softback, or the Kindle or the Nook. Sure, and they can also do a search under your name, Brian B R I A N, last name O A R D, and uh, find the book "Flying Hung Over," and uh, any subsequent works that might come out. Brian, thank you for sharing the details of this particular work, and uh, we hope that our listeners will find it an, an entertaining and thought-provoking read. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on, Jay. Pleasure talking with you. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Get ready to live la bella vita. With Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live La Bella Vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live La Bella Vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on toginet.com. Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris on Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled The Magic Stones by Grandma Noor. Our author, whose real name is Randy McKinnon, joins me from the Northwest in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to the program. No. no. You're not in Portland. Eugene, I'm Oregon. In Eugene. Eugene is close to Portland. Yeah. And everybody's neighbor is an Oregonian. I think that's how it's pronounced. All right. Great. Well, thank you for joining me today. You have uh, written this book, or your second book. Your first book, I didn't get the title of it. What was it called? It's called Katie and the Troll Queen. My assumption from that and what you've uh, described as a title indicates it may also be a children's book. Would that be correct? You are so correct. Wonderful. You have a very active life doing lots of fun stuff. Why did you decide that authoring children's books was something that uh, intrigued you? I've always, uh, when I've written letters and, and uh, such to my family and friends, it always turns into a book edition. <laughs> so I thought, well, why not embellish on it? And, and being I have a fertile mind of... Uh, for children's books and writing and stuff, uh, why didn't I 
go and get my education as a writer. And I did. Wonderful. You have some college education, but in addition to that, you're, you're a member of the Daughters of Norway, International Women's Group. You're, uh, you are a part of a Renaissance group. That's a very uh, fascinating mix of uh, entertainment and creativity. How long have you been involved in Renaissance fairs? I would say close to or about 20 years. Incredible. Well, it's a joy to talk with you. Your book, titled Magic Stones, the, the story concept, is this something that you have uh, used or have told this basic story over the years to children, grandchildren, and, and anybody that would listen? Or is this something that you created from scratch? I did not create it from scratch. That was my grandmother's mind that did that. She had story time for me. I was the only child. So we would have story time every afternoon after school, and she would recall stories that had been told to her. Wonderful. And uh, tell them to me and embellish on them, of course. <laughs> oh, was, now, was she from Norway? Your, your, I will yes. say your, your, your heritage is Norway or Norwegian. Quite right. And Quite were, right. were you personally born in Norway, or is, are you just uh, one of those lucky people that has some of that influence in their speech patterns? No, I was born there. I immigrated to the United States when I was 22. Wonderful. Well, you have a charming a charming delivery. I wanted to find out what the Magic Stones was all about. Now, your grandmother told you this story years and years. Well, I won't say uh, add years and years. That makes me sound like I'm thinking you're old and you're not. Uh, however, uh, you do go by Grandma Nor just because you want to be engaging to children. How long did it take you to recollect this story and to get it into print? I would say about a year. And um, when I learned to write from the Children's Institute for Books, uh, I had to scratch my head what to write about. And I have a beautiful backyard, and I was sitting out in it and one day, and all of a sudden it came to me, my grandmother's stories. Mm. There we go, and I was off and running. The story talks about a magic stone. What is that? Ma- is that magic stone? Is that something you can share in our interview, yeah. or tell us a little of what right. it's about? It is about two children who uh, are going in search of a cave that their father had told them about many, many years ago, and on and on and on about the cave that they couldn't find it. So the children decided to go. And they did find it, and there was lots of surprises inside. The stones is two diamonds that Mm. was given to them. The uh, book is uh, relatively short, 36 pages. However, the writing in it, some children's books have uh, very large print. Yours is more of a standard-style print. So this would uh, be possible for maybe a first or second grader to read this. What age group did you think might enjoy this read on their own, and uh, did you also anticipate that this would be read by parents and grandparents? I did, sir. Uh, I have a, uh, the age for the the reading of this book is between 6 and 11, possibly Mm -hmm. 12 years old, uh, when they can, when they read on their own. But the story, I think that if the the family read it to their children, the children would gain a lot of understanding from is from this 
and it's not a scary book like so many children's books are today. This is more of an adventure for two young children. It is. Your, it is. Now, your grandmother knew you better than we do. Uh, were you an active child, and uh, was she trying to teach you something from the Magic Stones, or just entertain you? She, uh, I was a very, very active child, but being I lived in a village that uh, there was only maybe two or three playmates, and we rarely saw each other except at school. And so we had to make up our own games, and I was not one that was going to sit home. I would make up my own games. That's a good foundation for for being an an author or a writer if you have a creative mind and a creative outlook. Exactly. Have Have you taken notes, or do you keep notes of some of these stories your grandmother told you so that in the future you can share those also with the uh, the audience the written word yes yes i have i have taken lots of notes and 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 i lay them in places where i can find them and then i can't find them (laughs) (laughs) well someone as busy as you are not surprising you could have it with your renaissance costumes or maybe with your red hats i don't know she's also you are also a member of the red hat society which is a a fun group of ladies that get together and i'm not sure what they do other than than just charm people when they go to restaurants and uh, meet for meetings what other activities do you involve yourself in that takes away from your writing i exercise three times a week for four hours that is one of the major things that I do, and, and by the time I'm done with that, most of the week is gone. My goodness. You, your main characters are Molly and Pete. And, uh, yeah. What is the, the underlying message that your grandmother was trying to convey to you, or perhaps it just came out in your story, the story by Grandma Knorr, that, uh, that you want to pass along to children? The main four things actually five that I would that is woven into the fabric of the the words in the book is honesty respect friendship loyalty and most of all courage Mm. any advice about respecting older relatives and moms and dads in there yeah I have uh, I think that the, the respect is is in the book, it's written in that you respect your elders above all. Definitely needed. I might just give my two or three uh, pennies on that topic. I think that's uh, certainly missing in the family structure. You have addressed a very important topic by doing so. It, what is your long-term hope for this? Are you wanting to be another Dr. Seuss, or what is your goal as an author? No, I do not. And I am not thinking of extra money or I would like to recover the expenses I have done by uh, publishing this but that is not important to me to me it is that the children read that mm. is a, almost a forgotten art today very true pick up the book and read yeah non-electronics is something they're not familiar with they like to just go off and zone in their own world that uh, has nothing to do with reality sometimes and of course reading can be an escape from reality but it does challenge them and and uh, it cause them to grow intellectually and emotionally so that's uh, it's a good thing that you've done did you have any challenges in getting this completed and getting it published yes 
I had a few challenges, but uh, it it is all a learning curve, and and um, I didn't expect to to put out as much dollars as I have. But looking back in retrospect, I would do it again and again, which I am going to do. I have two <laughs> more books that's going to go. <laughs> Are any of your books going to deal with your time in the Merchant Marines? Uh, no, I'm afraid not. That uh, That is a story all of its own. <laughs> I, I was fascinated so. to find that out about, about your history. You uh, certainly have kept busy. Your book is uh, the second in in your attempts at getting messages out to children. The third yes. book, is that on the way or under construction at the moment? Yeah, it's about to be finished. It's in the computer, and that is set in the Renaissance era. Ah, and I had to draw on everything I know, including speech, what they, how they spoke in those days, and how they acted, and all this. And that is a very, very interesting subject to me. Your author, Jan Michael Vincent Sy, did a fabulous job on illustrating this book, The Magic Stones, by Grandma Knorr. Is there a, a possibility you would engage them for the Renaissance, or do you have someone else in mind for that? I have another person in mind for that who is very well acquainted with Renaissance. Super. Yeah. So uh, she's going to take care of that. Wonderful. And how soon do you think that'll be out? Is that going to be this year as well? I, uh, I'm hoping it will if my finances holds up. Randy, uh, how did you come up with the name uh, or the, the title of Grandma Nor? I was trying to uh, infiltrate where I am from. And so I took half a Norway mm-hmm. and that Grandma Nor. We could have called it Grandma Eugene, maybe, but I guess Nor actually <laughs> actually sounds better. Yeah, I think it's it, it, it runs off the tongue a little easier. It does. We're going to make sure that people buy a copy of your book if we can. How do we get copies of The Magic Stones? The Magic Stones is at Barnes. Oh, no, it's not. Uh, yeah, it should be online at Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com, Kindle, Kindle Books. Kindle can get it. Do you have a website uh, or a fan page set up yet? I have a blog, and I'm on Facebook. Wonderful. If you could share that, that would be nice to maybe connect there. Yeah. Facebook is uh, uh, Randy McKinnon at Yahoo.com. Alrighty, and Randy is spelled with an I, R A N D I, and McKinnon is uh, M C K I N N O N zero N. Um, let me let me rephrase that. Last name M C K I N N O N, also known uh, under the nom de plume of Grandma Noor. Thank you for joining me today, Randy, enjoying and, and sharing your your personal history. I think it's fascinating what you have accomplished so far, and uh, best of luck with this book, The Magic Stones, by Grandma Noor. And uh, hopefully, we'll get to talk again, and you you will become a household word, household name, and be be able to produce lots and lots of stories. I hope so, indeed. Pleasure Thank visiting you for having me. Pleasure visiting with you for Ex Libras on Air. This is Jay Douglas Parker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. 
Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Fatal Destiny. And the author is Frank J. Miller. And Frank joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Frank. Hello, Steve. How are you? Great to have you with us. Uh, we're going to talk about the opera. Now, the opera may be mysterious to many but certainly, it is quite a musical story, and you were captivated by it at a very young age. Yes, I was. I was uh, 12 years old when my aunt took me to see Madame Butterfly at the Metropolitan Opera with Leech Albanese as Butterfly. And I enjoyed it so much that I have been a, a fan of opera ever since. Felt like it was part of your DNA, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you went on to sing yourself later. Y yes, I did uh, quite a lot of singing in uh, churches and synagogues, and I sang some opera performances myself. I sang in uh, Don Giovanni and the Zauberflirte by Mozart. And that really, what was it, after loving it for so long and being such a fan and attending, even having to stand often, standing room only, uh, what was it like to sing in it? What was it like to sing? Well, it's very difficult because uh, <clears throat> even producing your voice is difficult and you can, you get nervous and... Uh, it's not an easy profession. I, I decided against it. I had a good job. I decided to stick with my job as a social worker because uh, I thought if you didn't get to the top of that field, it was not worth going into, you know? Mm hmm I couldn't see myself making a living at it, you know? But certainly attending the opera is something you've done throughout your life? Yes. And really have enjoyed it. And and so your book, your book is fiction, but it's just trying to help us better understand the arts, to understand opera? Well, see what happened, uh, if I may tell you. I, I was looking through my papers, and I saw this clipping that says, uh, vocal miracle at the opera and I read it and it was a review of uh, this uh, soprano who was over 60 who sang uh, 
Desdemona, and she sang like an angel, and the critics were all shocked that anybody at that age could do anything, I guess. Now, today, we're in such a youth-driven society, I suppose people are amazed anybody over 60 can accomplish anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So I tried to prove in my book, really, that uh, people over a certain age can triumph over their age and even in their profession and also maybe find a little romance late in life, you know? <laughs> so your book's main character, and you just call her Madam. That's, that's yes. it. And we never really know... Well, what what do we... Well, we know... We learn about her through her... Uh, well, through your writing about her thinking as she meets people and, you know, in, uh, and just shares with the reader what she's thinking. That's right. Yes, that's a very good way to... Uh, draw us into this storyline. Is the storyline, again, just for entertainment only? No, it's also to show uh, human relationships and human kindness. If you know how, like even to her maid, she sits and eats with her maid, you know? Mm-hmm. She, she doesn't uh, play dance anybody. So even though she's over 60, she's what we would call at the top of her game, so to speak, her profession, top of the opera? Well, she does make a comeback because uh, what happens is the uh, one of the big uh, singers at the opera has to go back to Italy because her mother died. And this soprano has to... Uh, take over the role of Tosca and she goes through the role with some of her friends who are uh, musicians and uh, it tells you the difficulties of that part vocally and the acting with Scorpio and uh, it's quite interesting I think you know and also her relation with the manager of the opera who is very pompous and uh, difficult to get along with, you know. So he's one of the main characters as well? Yes, he's a, he's a character in the book. And, and what's, a, what's his name? Sir Rudolph, I call him. I won't give you the last name. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Rudolph. Well, then there's, then there's Thomas, who she seems to be just captivated with. Ta- Thomas was a conductor. I won't give his last name, and Giancarlo was a um, a composer, and she goes to Italy with them, if you remember, right? They go to Venice, mm-hmm. and they meet uh, they meet this very famous singer uh, who I call Maria, and uh, they go to hear her sing at the Fenice Opera, and she. She has a big reception afterwards, and uh, uh, she gets sort of insulted because the conductor tells Madam what a beautiful voice she has, and I guess she gets, Maria gets jealous, you know? Maria, a bit of a diva? Oh, yeah, she's a very famous uh, diva, you know? 
Is Madam very famous? I guess through she's oh, been yeah, singing she all her life, life, right? She's yeah, been she singing. Yeah, she was very famous. Mm-hmm. But now very, she's very go- highly regarded, you know. And now she's going through that stage in life where people are surprised that she can sing so well because she's over that age of she's sixty. Over sixty, yes. Well, but, she probably uh, will have to retire soon anyway, but. Uh, she does make one big uh, last comeback, you know. And the world loves her. Well, she has a fa- every every singer has their fans and their detractors, you know. If you ever go to the opera, they stand around talking and they criticize everybody, you know. Especially these standees, they're very critical. Any other characters that you want to talk about that really add to the story? Oh, well, the uh, the fellow that, uh, the one that drives the uh, Vaporetto in Venice, he's Russian and he turns out to be a, uh, a dancer and she meets him again in uh, New York at... Uh, at the Russian Tea Room with his boss, who was a famous dance teacher, a choreographer. And, of course, in the book, you have to read it, uh, what happens when uh, she goes home with them. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, difficult situations. Uh, you put your characters into these tough situations and showing the personal relationships the what can be solved by some and maybe uh, just uh, ignored by others because of their ego and other other challenges that's right just a, a glimpse of life uh, through the on stage at the opera so to speak <laughs> <laughs> so uh, is this story uh, is this well? It is a story, as you put. It is a story of courage triumphing over adversity. That's maybe the main theme. There's also women's liberation involved, which is apropos of today. You know that she fights against the uh, managers. You know. Mm-hmm. But she gets away because they need her. If they didn't need her, they wouldn't bother with her. You know. It's only because uh, one of their favorite singers had to go back to Italy. So the show must go on, and they're kind of stuck with her, but she's popular. Yeah, yeah she has her fans, but uh, they're glad to have her. It is a name to put up there, you know? Right, exactly. Madam So-and-so in Tosca. You can't uh, do opera without opera stars, you know? So are you still going to operas today? Yeah, whenever I can, yeah, I go today. So you're right there in New York City. You go to the Metropolitan Opera. Yes. Do you see yourself writing more? Yes, I'm thinking of writing another book. In fact, it's in the planning stages. Would this be on opera as well? No, it's going to be. Uh, you you want to hear what it's supposed to be about? Sure. It's about a young uh, Jewish girl in Vienna uh, before the turn of the century, how she's facing anti-Semitism. Very real. 
Yes. It's all, also based on somebody I know, you know, or knew, mm-hmm. who's no longer with us. Very inspiring woman who was a a doctor, you know, and she uh, she triumphed over adversity in uh, Vienna. You know, can you imagine a young Jewish girl becoming a doctor in Vienna in in those days? You know. It should be quite an interesting story. Well, it sounds like it is. So congratulations, Frank. Uh, Congratulations on writing your book, Fatal Destiny. We've been talking with Frank J. Miller about his book that focuses on the opera, on the arts, uh, and has quite an underlining theme about just overcoming adversity in the which, of course, takes a lot of courage to do that. So, Frank, tell us, what's the best way to get your book, Fatal Destiny? Well, it's uh, available, I think, on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. Ex Libris Company is the publisher. They're in uh, Bloomington, Indiana. Well, thank you so much, Frank, for joining us on Ex Libris On Air. Well, Steve, have a wonderful day. It was good to talk to you. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.